Hi, everyone, and welcome to Badass Women at Any Age. This is your host, Bonnie Marcus. And each week, I introduce you to another woman who owns her talent and ambition and challenges the status quo. Today, my guest is Silvana Roche. Silvana is an executive coach and people advisor based in Silicon Valley. She guides founders and CXOs on how to manage their internal psychology and interpersonal dynamics so they can lead from a place of clarity and courage. Since founding her practice eight years ago, she's coached over 200 leaders at companies like Slack, Apple, Netflix, and fast-growing startups in the United States and in Europe. Silvana is a Techstar mentor, startup advisor, and angel investor. Originally from France and Colombia, Silvana is a political scientist by training who also studied Hatha Yoga in India. Interesting combination, Silvana. Welcome to Badass Women. Thank you, Bonnie, for having me. I'm so pumped for this. So tell us. This is where all the podcasts start. Um, Please share how you've arrived where you are today. What's your story? Mm. That's one of my favorite questions when I meet someone new is, so what's your story? (laughs) Because everyone's got one. Everyone's got one. Not everyone owns it. So you can start anywhere. Right. You can start childhood, anything that you think is significant that will help us understand your journey. Sure. And this is all through my lens and through the lens of people that I've had conversations with, but I'm sure there's more to it. But how I got here, I think that some big factors and who I am, I think the biggest factor probably is that I come from a multicultural, multilingual family. I was born during a hurricane in Florida, but grew up in France. My father is French and my mother is Colombian. So I am a product of that melange, that mix. And grew up in France, a pretty comfortable childhood. My my family owned a business. They made bicycle parts and bicycle handlebars. So one of the things that influenced me was growing up around entrepreneurship, Mm -hmm. number one. Also, like I said, growing up in a mixed family, when we had Sunday dinners at my grandma Paulette's house, it would be an orchestra of four languages around the table. And we had French dishes and Spanish dishes and Italian oh, dishes. Oh, wonderful. Uh, my mom would put mm-hmm. in her Colombian touch to the thing. And so after growing up in France, I also lived in Colombia for a few years when I was a teenager. And then I moved to the U.S. when I was 15. And so I think a common thread in my life that has made me who I am today is that I have had to be the new kid on the block a lot. Mm. I've had to learn new languages, adapt to new cultures a lot. And so where I am today, you know, as a mom of two and a professional and a wife and somebody who owns her story and is living her life intentionally, I really do believe that having had those experiences where I had to adapt very quickly really shaped me into someone who is flexible, who is comfortable with change. I think that's the biggest thing about me is I am very creative in how I live my life. And I think that comes from having had an upbringing where I had to change environments so much and and learn to adapt to the new circumstances, right? right? 
And and the coaching really found me about a decade ago. I had a career in international development, which is a great career for someone who is multilingual and multicultural. And I was doing work in Africa and Latin America with poor communities, essentially. And one of the things that I discovered in that work is that, wow, there is bad leadership everywhere. It doesn't matter if it's the private sector, if it's academia, if it's government. And so that was really interesting to me. And it really kind of planted the seed of, well, what makes good leadership, right? If there's so much bad leadership, like why is it so hard to be a good leader? And I made an effort myself to become a better leader for the people that I was working Mm -hmm. with, for the teams that I was guiding. And little by little, people started noticing and saying, oh, hey, I saw how you managed that with that person on your team, that sticky situation. Can you teach me how to do that? Oh, can I send you my cousin? My cousin is a new director at a company and she's really struggling with the new leadership roles, things like that. So the coaching really mm-hmm. found me because of how I was approaching my own search for how to be a good leader. Yeah, how you were in the world, really, the way people perceived mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you. What type of challenges have you faced along the way? I would say the more common one has been that I have tended to go and hang out in spaces where there weren't a lot of people like me. What attracted you to that, do you think? I think there was a part of, oh, look at this. There's a group of people who are pretty homogenous over here. Let me go and hang out with them and show them something different. Let me go and see if I can open up their minds. I was never afraid to step into those spaces of people who were perhaps close friends or they were kind of very similar to each other. I saw it as an opportunity. Mm -hmm. I saw it as something fun to do. Interesting. So you were challenging yourself as well as the group. Well, yeah. Yeah. Was there some degree of curiosity on your part? For sure. Mm -hmm. For sure. You know, let's say when I first moved to the States, I was in ESL classes for a few months until I went to my guidance counselor and I said, I don't want this. I want to be in class with the Americans and I want to learn to speak English like Americans. I think if I stay in ESL, that's not going to happen because I'll be Mm -hmm. with just a bunch of people who are like me. They just arrived and nobody speaks English well. And that's not really going to teach me much. So I think my life has been a series of decisions like that, where if something was too easy or if I was just finding myself in an environment that felt perhaps too comfortable or sometimes not always comfortable, but perhaps wasn't challenging me or wasn't teaching me anything I wanted to seek out, well, what's what's the next step on the ladder for me to grow myself? And what's fun about that is everybody gets to learn in that scenario. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it sounds to me, Silvana, like a combination of curiosity and courage. That is very, very spot on because those are actually the two things that are central to my coaching because they're central to my story. So Mm. he called it Bonnie. So your life has informed the work you do. It has very much so. And I think speaking as a coach myself, it's very often the lessons we learn and our experiences that really is what we bring to our coaching, what we bring to our clients even though we may not see that what our package is really, that's that's how we benefit our clients. I agree. And I feel like that's what we attract as well. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about internal 
psychology. First of all, how would you define that? It's what I call an internal landscape. It's thoughts, the beliefs, the mindsets, the models that you have going on internally in your mind and in your heart that are dictating and shaping how you see yourself and how you see the world around you. So for me, it's the basis of everything when I coach my clients. Often they come to me with challenges that they view as external, right? Challenges with their team, challenges Mm -hmm. with uh, the, the people not performing. And my work revolves around bringing it back to them. If there is something externally that you are seeing is not working, the only person you have control over is you. And that starts with your internal psychology. What are your beliefs and what are your mental models about this situation that you're in or these people that surround you or yourself in relationship to them? So to me, it's really the core of any transformative work is starting with that. It is so important that we focus much more on the external and trying to control some of those external factors, whether it's the behavior of others or the system, we just focus a lot of our energy on that. And then we don't do the internal work, which is really, to your point, the only thing we can control. We <laughs> can only control ourselves. But very often, and, and I'd be interested in knowing whether the leaders you coach find that they're not aware of the power or the limits of the internal beliefs and stereotypes that they hold, their limiting beliefs. Do you find that's true, that they are less focused internally, more externally? For sure. For sure. I mean, most of the conversations, let's say discovery calls, right? When somebody gets referred Mm -hmm. to me and they show up in my inbox and I say, hey, let's, let's get on the phone. Let's get on Zoom. Let's meet and talk about what's going on in your life. It all starts with a description of the external obstacles or the external results that they're not happy with. And to be fair, by now I've been in my practice for eight plus years and most of my business is word of mouth. So the people who get sent to me are a certain type of person. They're pretty self-aware, right? Because that's just kind of the network that, that I have around me at this point in terms of clients. Even if there's a self-awareness of, I suspect I have something to do with these results that I'm not very happy with around me, there's still sometimes no clue about what that could possibly be, right? So they're, they, at least most of them come in curious saying, I, I want to know how I'm creating this. But every now and then, mm-hmm. Bonnie, and I'm sure this is something that sounds familiar to you, every now and then I come across someone and I'll ask them a very simple question while we're talking. You know, they're describing the situation they're unhappy with and I'll say, how do you think you've been complicit in creating this? Or how do you think you've mm-hmm. helped manifest this situation in your life? And sometimes there's someone who says, you know, I don't know that it's me or I don't, I haven't thought about they that. get defensive. Yeah. Or I haven't thought about that. But do I really think it's this over there, this thing over there that I'm telling you about, right? So it depends on the person and, and people show up with varying degrees of openness. But I think for most people, even if there's the word, the awareness of, I think I have something to do with it. The reason they call me and they want to talk to someone is because they're a little bit scared of going in and exploring by themselves. And they want someone there. They want someone to 
walk that path with them and say, it's okay, it's not scary. We can go look at it together. I'll be here with you. I'm not going to do it for mm-hmm. you, but I'll be walking alongside you and, and we'll figure it out. Silvana, do you find that many of your clients are aware of the way they're being perceived? Hmm. Some do. Mm-hmm. Some don't. Yeah, it's really until they start doing this work, they may not be aware. And and they may know that something's kind of off, but they haven't explored it. There's been, for most people, I would say, for most people, there's been a reticence and a hesitation to have frank conversations with people about how are you perceiving me? How am I how am I supporting you? How am I not supporting you? How am I showing up for you? That is something that they don't start to do until they start to do the coaching work with me. Right. Sometimes I find that that is the impetus to start coaching. Something's going on here, you know? For sure. There's um, a sense that something's off. Yeah, there's something that it's not in alignment. It's not, I'm, I'm trying my best and I'm frustrated, but I'm not reaching the team or I'm not getting the results that I want or it's trying to understand that. And the reason I say that, and I'm curious if you do too, it's because very often there needs to be a good reason to do the internal work, you know? It's like, well, if I keep doing this, you know, what I'm doing and I don't really know what I'm doing, then I'm not going to be successful. And when people realize the jeopardy of continuing to do the same thing over and over is when they think, wow, I better do something about it. Because it's not easy work, is it? No. (laughs) And I like to warn people about that. I say, you know, we are going to look at some things that you may have avoided or, or may not have looked at ever before when we do this work. And you know, there's a bit of a question of, are you ready to do this before I, I embark on, on this work? Yeah, well, I mean, that's what I mean. It's like there needs to be a, a reason. Oh, yeah. It's not just like, oh, it's a good thing to do, you know, I'm professional growth and all that stuff. No, they need to see the consequences, I think, of not doing the work. Yeah, it would be marvelous if most people knew from the beginning, I should probably get a cut. I actually have one client She's a female founder of a travel startup who brought me on at the very beginning. I was probably one of the first few people that she was talking with when she started her startup. But she is in the minority, like you say, Bonnie. Most people wait until there's something very painful. There's some sort of thorn on this on their side. It's inevitable for them to go look for help at that point because they really feel like something's not working and it's causing them pain. Mm -hmm. And the female founder, and I'm really curious whether you find there are gender differences in the leaders that you coach in terms of their self-awareness or, you know, just in general, what do you find? Yeah, I think there's no surprises there. I mean, all the data and all the stuff we know basically about how women and men, generally speaking, right, I'm I'm using a broad brush here, but how women and men are uh, socialized, essentially, right, where women are very much socialized in general terms to be more thoughtful about how they're showing up for others, to think about other people's well-being, to be empathic, to really look into how their behavior. But are they more focused externally, do you think? I find that they're 
women are more focused on trying to understand others and on trying to understand how their behavior impacts others and please others. Yeah. Oh, for sure. There's definitely a lot of wanting to please others. And I find that men are more socialized to work on the hard skills and especially the people that I work with, right? In these startups, mostly in the tech sector, there's a lot of emphasis on men, like just be good at your technical skill and you'll reach the stars. Whereas for women, that's not the message at all, right? It's if you can get people to follow you, if you can get people to listen to you, if you are empathic and you pay attention to others, right? That's how you'll be appreciated and succeed, so to speak. So the differences are very much there. Mm-hmm. At least when my clients show up at my doorstep, woman versus men, I'm going to encounter something different. I find that ha- that empathy. The coaching is then very different. Well, I mean, it's customized for the individual. It is. Yeah. You still find that there are gender differences that you could cite. Yeah. And I say generally speaking, because every now and then I come across a man who already is super empathic and super, um, you know, has has this skill of of paying attention to others and listening and and being in tune with himself and the people around him. He's got that. And and then I'll find out something about their history that tells me, ah, okay, there was a little something in how you were brought up that made this difference for you. But yeah, generally speaking, there are gender differences in the yeah. self awareness and what I call other awareness. And generally speaking, then, in this tech world, have you experienced yourself or do you see the effects of gender bias in tech? You know, that is fascinating because I have not experienced it myself, Mm -hmm. but perhaps that's because when I'm coming into the room, I'm bringing something that people are very much looking for and needing and they're they're ready to listen because like you said there is something that's not working and by the time I show up in the conversation it's oh hopefully you can help us right so I have not encountered that but I'm also the kind of person again it, it all comes down to the individual is that because you come in as an outsider do you think I think so I think being an outsider yeah. makes all the difference and you're the expert that they've brought in mm-hmm. yeah 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 But women who are in, you know, let's say women who are working in a corporate setting in the tech sector, I hear all sorts of stories, yes, about the bias and not just women, but, you know, people who are of different cultures and different colors and ageism is a thing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, I hear that one a lot. So the rumors are true, so to speak. There's a lot of work to do there. And one of the reasons I love working with male founders and male CEOs is because as an outsider, the first time I meet them, I can say, I had a look at your website. I had a look at your board of directors page. I had a look at the page where all your leaders are listed. I happen to notice there are no women on there. I happen Mm -hmm. to notice that everyone looks the same, right? Mm -hmm. So as an outsider, it really gives me that license to ask those questions without being punished or having negative repercussions, right? Coming from me, it comes as, oh my goodness, we have never paid attention to that or we haven't made it a priority. And oh, this is embarrassing. And it's kind of like the emperor wears no clothes, right? Because sometimes as an outsider, you see things that, that are pretty obvious that aren't obvious to the person. 
For sure. And they're just heads down trying to build this thing. And all they did was, you know, just grab whoever was, you know, in the beginning stages. Like it starts like that, right? They'll they'll often say, you know, oh, we're five years into our startup. But when we first started, it was just me and my brother-in-law and and our friends. And yeah, we all look alike. And we just have been building this thing for five years. And even though we knew perhaps somewhere that we should have other people who didn't look like us, who weren't from our little group, it just wasn't a priority, right? We were just so busy and we just went the easy route. I think it really is that. Well, that's the uh, similarity bias, right? Totally. And things have to happen fast. And for them, there's a mental barrier to saying, we can either grab my brother-in-law's best friend who's here, (laughs) who's also somebody who looks like us uh, and he's ready to start tomorrow. Or there's this mental barrier of, oh, if we want to go look for I don't know, let's say Latinas in tech to join our company. Now we have to like go and make contacts in that world and we have to go attend their events and we don't know any Latinas in tech and where are we going to find them? And mm-hmm. Right? So it's one of the unfortunate things of, of building a startup that everything has to happen so fast and all these things that you know are the right things to do, even if you know they're the right thing to do, it's better for you to build a diverse team. We know that. The numbers speak for themselves, right? Revenue is going to be better. The long-term results for your company will be better with diversity, but there's a mental barrier to doing it because it's not the easy thing to do. Yeah. And I think, like you just said, it's not always easy. It's so much easier to grab somebody's uh, friend or brother, you know, to find a candidate, you know, who represents a a different group. For sure. But it's never too late to start. Yeah. But the pressure on startups is enormous, right? Right. It's unreal. I've never seen anything like it. I know about Wall Street. I lived in New York City for many years. I know about the pressures of, of working in Wall Street. I know about a little bit about the legal system because I have friends who are attorneys and I hear about their lifestyle. But being a startup founder or being on the founding team of a startup is just, it's to the extreme. And I don't know how people do it sometimes, honestly, without losing their I minds. Know. I mean, I oh. was one of three principals in a tech startup. At first hand. And yeah, with uh, two other gentlemen. And I, I, you know, I know what the stress is to be able to get things up, not only up and running, to work the way they're supposed to work and, and to generate revenue. You know, it's a lot. And to please investors. In your bio, it also says you're an angel investor. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. I mean, for me, it's very, it's something I do very deliberately, right? Because I I am not a a wealthy person who has just a ton of money to invest in 30 startups. But when I meet a founder who is in the early stages and is doing something that I think is truly revolutionary, there are two two areas that I have my, my eye on that really matter to me. One is if you're working on anything having to do with climate change. And it doesn't have to necessarily be like a tool that's solving for climate change. But let's say you are a neobank and you are working on Mm -hmm. diversing the portfolios of banks away from fossil fuels, right? And you want to revolutionize that industry. I want to be part of that. I want to support you. I want to be an advisor. I want to give a little bit of money to have some skin in the game and to show my support. So it's something that I do very deliberately, very consciously, and it's very much aligned with with my values. Your values, your passion. Mm-hmm. Or, or if you're revolutionizing mental health, access to mental health, psychedelics, anything like that, 
same thing. It's I think it's urgent that we solve for this. And I want to be part of supporting whoever is doing something in this area. Right. I mean, as an angel investor, any kind of influence on the success of the startup? I personally like to be more involved because, like I said, it's something that I do very, you know, I very carefully select who I do this with. I like to be a little bit more involved. I'm not really interested in just writing a check and saying goodbye. So Mm -hmm. I like to be, if possible, also an advisor in some form to the company. I, I like to be part of the journey. I want them to count on me for other types of support as well. Because I think just writing a check when I have these other ways of helping the company is kind of not really doing them a favor. So I like to be able to bring my my whole self in terms of how I can support them. Whole self, right. All my okay. gifts. One last question. What do you see as the greatest challenges that leaders today are facing? And it could be in tech or just in general. This this is going to be a different answer that I would have given you probably a month ago, but I've really been thinking about the pace of the world. So obviously there's the internal stuff. I think the biggest challenge that leaders have that they actually can control is the internal mm-hmm. stuff. That's number one. Mm-hmm. But the second biggest challenge is actually something that the individual does not have a lot of control over. And I think we're going to have to change societally. But it just hit me the other day that the pace that we are living at in our world and the demands and the expectations that we are setting for ourselves societally have gotten to a point where those expectations are so high, I want to say unrealistic, that we're reaching a breaking point. And Mm -hmm. I see a point in the very near future where there's going to be, if we haven't reached it already in some fractions, there's going to be sort of a societal, just like breakdown of we have reached the point where, where we can't give anymore. We can't go any faster. We can't do more. We can't answer more emails a day, right? Like, where do you go from here? So I really do think that that's the biggest challenge for leaders today is the sheer amount of everything that they have to. When someone tells me I get 300 emails a day and I have to go through every single one of them, I say, there's nothing to optimize that there's, mm-hmm. right? Like you're not going to do 500 emails next year if you think you're going to be better. So right. I think that's the challenge is the expectations of our world that are unrealistic at this point. But that's a philosophical conversation for another day. Yeah. But it's also how we have internalized those expectations, because I find some people are better than others about, well, I got 300, you you know what I mean? That we then take those expectations, we internalize them from what we know of society's expectations, and we put them on ourselves and that's what causes the stress. Oh, yeah. I think rather than somebody saying, hey, I'm your manager and you need to do this, this and this today. I mean, there's some of that, but it's the this internal struggle that we've been talking about that is probably more challenging. For sure. Yeah. There's got to be a point where we say, you know what? I don't accept this. And aren't we finding that now with quiet quitting and, and burnout? People leaving more jobs than, you know, changing jobs more than they have in recent history. Yeah, I think we're seeing it already. Yeah. You're, you're correct. It's a protest and, and I think of sorts. Starting to see the cracks of people mm-hmm. saying, I can't, I can't, I just can't anymore. 
there's no more left to give. I can't produce more. I can't answer faster and I won't, which gives me hope. I think we're getting there. Well, going to take a while to turn things around. Sylvana, thank you so much for being on Badass Women and sharing all your expertise and wisdom and experiences. How can my listeners learn more about you? First of all, thank you, Bonnie. I loved being in conversation with you. You have such great questions and you're such a present listener. It was such a treat. Thank you. And as far as learning more about me, I am the only person with my first and last name in the world. So you can find me on LinkedIn. I am Silvana Roche. Is that true? Yeah. I, I met a woman in Canada. I didn't meet her. We, we found each other online. Her name is Silvana Oche, H-O-C-H-E-T. But no, I'm the only okay. Silvana Roche. So you can find me on LinkedIn. And my website for my coaching practice is elanvital.co. All that'll be in the show notes. Great. And I always like to say to people, you can reach out to me, even if you're not looking for a coach, but let's say you're looking for a great book to read on topic X. I probably have something to recommend if it has to do with our human nature. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. That's a great resource. And thank you everyone for listening today. If you like the show, please rate, review, subscribe, share it with your friends. Thank you to my producer, Kevin Clayton at IM Music Group. Silvana and I have talked about this, and this is something that I feel is really important to emphasize, and, and that is that there are things you can control and things you can't. You can't control who your managers are. You can't control how your colleagues or friends or family behave. You can only control your own thoughts and behavior. You can't change others. And really, you waste your energy and give away your power by focusing on things you can't control. Stay in your power. Own that power. And be the best you can be every day. That is badass. Till next week, be bold and be your badass self. <laughs>